0: New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 495. I'm your host Paul Spain and joining me today, Greg Hutana. How are you Greg?
1: I'm very good, thanks Paul.
0: Always great to have you on the show, uh, representing Gorilla Technology as our services manager here. So thank you, Greg. Now let's jump straight in. First of all, to highlight those partners of the show that help us uh, keep keep the show buzzing. So Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, Samsung and Gorilla Technology. And you might have noticed a new name mentioned in the intro today. And that is umbrella connect so thanks very much to umbrella connect for uh, coming on board as our uh, leading partner for the new zealand tech podcast and congratulations uh, to umbrella for their launch of their new multimedia platform umbrella connect uh, just last friday and they had uh, john key there as part of that live stream launch that they were doing in conjunction with uh, the new zealand herald on uh, Friday afternoon, uh, John Key and uh, Vanessa Sorensen, the uh, the new Microsoft MD here in New Zealand. So uh, off to a, an interesting start and we're looking forward to what content that they'll be carrying in the, uh, the coming months, including, of course, the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So uh, great to have them on board. Well, Greg, let's uh, jump straight into the technology news and happenings of the week. One that really caught my attention was news about a company called Relativity Space and I hadn't really been following what they're doing but they're on this mission basically to build 3D printed rockets. Now we already know here in New Zealand that uh, Rocket Lab have used 3D printing to great effect because they're 3D printing their engines to uh, to get their rockets into into space which is you know fantastic and you know they've really led the way in those regards well relativity space are going one step further than just uh, producing the the engines, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the, the, the Rutherford engines have led the way in, in those regards, uh, but they're looking to build the engines, the fuselage, the propellant tanks, all of this stuff being uh, 3D printed so they can minimise the amount of uh, manual work that is needed to get a rocket prepared and ready to launch into space.
1: Yeah, it's very fascinating. Um I was watching a program on the weekend about the NASA rockets and the new, you know, um, rockets from Elon Musk, Its you know, SpaceX and the like and it was just like, you know, they were becoming obsolete really, the NASA type of rocket because of the the, the advancements being made and then again we're seeing here, uh, you know, just another step forward and, you know, s- sustainable rockets which just sounds a bit crazy when you think traditionally they were used to just blow you up into the space and then the rest was debris and, you know, would be thrown away or melted down or whatever they did with it. That's right. So suddenly, you know, it's it's like everything, people are trying to innovate to make things reusable. Uh, which keeps the planet going, which is pretty fantastic. I think. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you know it's it's really encouraging. Obviously, there's a, there's a huge amount of uh, propellant used to get these things into space. So, uh, you know, there there is a there's an, there's an element there that uh, you know, is not so good. But I'm not not sure we'll be seeing any uh, fully electric versions <laughs> any any anytime soon. Um, but yeah it's 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 really interesting of course you know we look back to i think it was 1981 when the US launched the space shuttle and you know that that was an incredible program uh, they certainly had had their challenges and you know eventually you know, mothballed all of the the shuttles because they were really getting so old but it is exciting to see uh, what private companies you know can achieve and look they're under you know, incredible pressures compared to those that are that are government funded, where you know, things can take way too long. Uh, the the amount of money it's it's you know it's very much just mm. just a handout, and the commercial operations have to make this uh, stuff work. And you know, often it is done in a much much more cost effective way. And and those uh, you know pressures create this type of company. And you know, it was interesting to look at where they came from, so the founders of uh, Reality Space uh, from SpaceX and also from uh, Jeff Bezos' space company What's that one called? Greek? Blue Origin. Blue Origin. So, yeah. So you know, there, there's really a whole lot now going on in that private, mm. uh, that private space sector. Now, the bit that caught me as as fascinating was just the size. Of the payload that they're going to be able to take up into space, so they're talking about a payload about 1,250 kilos uh, that they would be—that would be what they'd be able to get up into a low Earth orbit, and they're—they're they're talking about. And this was a, a starting figure, so I'm not quite sure what that means of ten million dollars. So if they could do a, a launch with uh, carrying that much of a payload for ten million dollars, that is certainly going to uh, going to stir things up. We we look at what Rocket Lab do, and their payload is around 150 uh, kilograms. If I recall correctly, and last I heard on pricing, it was between five and six million. These are US dollar figures. So, if Relativity Space can, you know, achieve this, then yeah, it will certainly put some pressure on and uh, and stir up the market uh, further. But look, I think it, it's it's fair to say it's pretty hard to get these companies actually into space there's a lot of uh, competitors dozens of others that are trying uh, to get to space and most of them haven't been successful meanwhile uh, rocket lab and, and SpaceX you know just continuing at, a, at an incredible mm. pace so uh, yeah really really exciting to see things you know con- continuing to uh, move and look you know if we look at other areas of technology we've we've seen as there's become more competition, as new technologies have facilitated innovation, which is certainly uh, the case here, then the costs come down. So the cost of being able to put up uh, satellites that will, for instance, uh, handle internet in remote areas, look, that might cost, it might cost a tenth to do that uh, in five years' time compared to what it, what it costs now even. Um, I mean that might, that might be a, an extreme but we, we will see what the realities are obviously it's now low enough for SpaceX to you know, be putting theirs up in, in space and you know, I think there will, there will be more of that to come and the story that actually uh, triggered this was that uh, Relativity Space adding a second launch pad so they already have one in Florida and they're adding one in, in California so yeah, they're they're obviously moving ahead at uh, at quite a pace. If they're uh, they're they're at that point where it makes sense for them to get a second launch pad ready. They must have a very high level of confidence.
1: Well, it talks in there about how they couldn't reach certain parts of the sky <laughs> with their rocket, which is kind of interesting because you just assume the rocket goes up and then just kind of floats anywhere it likes. But obviously, that's not the case. So uh, it was more to do with uh, you know how far the rocket could reach and where it could end up in terms of putting the you know, the um, satellites or whatever, the payload is into space. So it's very interesting there. I was just thinking as well, it's interesting how, uh, you know, they're taking um, team members from other companies. And it kind of says to me, for our young people who are thinking of the future, that this is an area that's going to be very exciting and hugely in demand. And, um, you know, these are the type of... um, Businesses and the organisations, the sectors that really are the future for some of our young people that have a you know desire to work, you know, in these kind of high tech um, businesses, and there's obviously a lot of opportunity. Huge oh amount. yeah,
0: yep, and so exciting to have you know, Rocket Lab right here Absolutely. in New Zealand. That's incredible a work away. that Peter Beck's doing. Now, another sort of space-related uh, news item came through as well. And this was to do with SpaceX, and that uh, SpaceX are actually planning uh, seaborne spaceports for two things: Mars missions. So this it seems to be quite you know forward forward looking. Although they're yeah wanting to get rolling with that stuff uh, at pace, and also hypersonic flights. So you know I kind of quite like the idea of uh, hypersonic. Flights and uh, look if if we can get uh, ourselves from, let's say, uh, I don't know, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Invercargill, wherever these things could uh, could take off from, or, or or I guess in this case somewhere out in the in the ocean, you know, near us, and then fly to a uh, a, a port off the uh, say off the ocean from uh, the UK or New York and be there in an hour or two that would be kind of cool i reckon um so yeah it's go- it is going to be very interesting where we actually get to with you know the spacecraft and you know what the efficiencies are that they're going to bring but yeah one of those challenges is where can you launch from and and that i think has been part of Rocket Lab's success story is being able to launch from here in New Zealand mm-hmm. where they don't have all the uh, air traffic challenges of the US, that they can, you know, almost at the drop of a hat get geared up for a launch. And of course, they've got uh, two uh, launch pads now at Mahia uh, Peninsula in addition uh, to their US launch pad. So, yeah, it's exciting to see the pace improving on that front. What do you think about Going to Mars is this uh, is this something that Elon well, I, Musk is going to be able to make money on? How how do you see that? Playing when I first
1: out? heard the story, I thought there's no oceans on Mars, so <laughs> why do they need to land on the oceans on Mars? And I realised, oh no, it's 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 launching from the ocean platforms um, on our planet. But um, no, I, I have no doubt uh, he'll probably make it, Paul. I mean, you know, the, it's extraordinary to think ten years ago who was this person to. Really, making huge transformations and leading the way and promoting, you know, electric vehicles and and, and alternatives to grid power, um, you know, and and there'll be ups and downs like any 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 genius, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm not betting against them. That's for sure. <laughs> also interesting again to see, you know, space, SpaceX is hiring for offshore operation engineers. So again, there's opportunity in the sector uh, even now. And I mean, you know, that, those platforms will be made and then maintained. There's just so much opportunity. Very exciting um, for any young people, you know. Mums and dads listening out there, you know, this is this is the kind of thing we want our kids to be aiming towards, um, because we know there's other opportunities in the market that won't exist in these years ahead. So we want to be thinking strategically forward for our kids this is a sector that's very exciting and again this is to do with engineering and, and really you know, high skilled labour as opposed to being a genius around figures and numbers uh, but it's in that sector and it's going to be very exciting mm, so mm. yeah all guns blazing.
0: Now onto news that Microsoft are shutting down their physical retail stores whilst they don't have any in New Zealand uh, they do have a lot around the world and this is is quite a big uh, change for Microsoft. Of course, when they opened their first uh, retail stores, they very much were emulating what Apple were doing with their incredibly successful uh, retail presence. Uh, but of course, to showcase the Microsoft product range, and they did it in their, their own particular take on it, and they were they were impressive stores, uh, those that I got to uh, got to visit, I remember, uh, you know, using their retail outlet as a location to uh, source some of their newer products that weren't available in New Zealand. For instance, the Microsoft Band, one of their uh, consumer products, a number of years ago, never did launch uh, here. Uh, I remember buying one of those in Hawaii, and they were also a place where Microsoft. Promoted the Windows Phone, which has gone, and I, and I think this is part of that picture is the changing shape of Microsoft, and under the current uh, leadership with such an Adela, you know they they have become more and more successful uh, in that sort of you know business and enterprise uh, segment. Their, their share price has is, is, you know, reached incredible uh, heights, as have a lot of other companies actually in, in recent months, uh, which is is a fascinating story in itself, uh, how strongly some of these firms are doing despite the challenges and, and disruption of uh, COVID-19. What's your take on Microsoft shutting down retail, Greg? Because you know this could be viewed through a number of a number of perspectives that COVID's done it. What do you what do you think? Is this a, a more futuristic move from them?
1: I, I think it is. Uh, you know, when we hear these conversations, when we see these things happening, especially around retail, uh, I was in retail for a very long time. Uh, retail in its traditional form is under huge pressure. It, it's struggling uh, as an industry, as a sector, and. Uh, um, Maybe Microsoft is just looking at the future and saying, you know what, a, a physical store is not a part of that. Maybe the physical store is now more about the playground where people can come and experience our products rather than having to do the hard sell in store to them. So uh, I, I think there's a lot going on in that conversation of closing their stores Um um, some of it will be exciting. It um, will create new opportunities. They're to- they're talking about you know well, look we're not laying people off when we close these stores. We're going to integrate them back into the to the company in other ways, which we hope they do. But uh, yeah, that, that <laughs> you that's you know, that's, enc- that's encouraging, yeah, isn't it? And so,
0: when we were talking before, you highlighted that one uh, one of the things that Microsoft had had shared within their announcement was that through uh, Microsoft.com. Uh, the Xbox and Windows stores that they reach 1.2 billion uh, customers monthly, so they have an incredible reach through digital platforms Absolutely. that you just can't get with a with a physical store. Oh. Which is um, yeah, that that in in itself is something that we have been you know discussing for you know for some time. Is you know, what does the world look like from a from a retail perspective? Uh, in the in the years ahead and yeah I'm, I'm very curious to see how this will play out. If I'd most d-
1: companies told us they were closing their stores it's a sign of real problems but in this case I think it's, it signals some of the future and uh, we know Microsoft's doing very well so you know it's quite a flip story this one it's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's more to do with the future than with the bottom line currently and mm. the costs of having those stores in place so yeah it's, it's, there's a lot going on there Yep, yep. Now, uh, also related to
0: Microsoft, there's been um, an announcement from them and it's really clarifying their focus on uh, endpoint security software, antivirus we used to call it, but it it goes more broadly than that these days, with their advanced threat protection product which is uh, landing now on Linux, which is... You know is actually is quite a probably a shock <laughs> to many that Microsoft are uh, releasing software for Linux and also Android and iOS on the way. So yeah, Microsoft, who of course started out with Windows Defender, as a sort of freebie antivirus offering built into Windows, that caused some pressure and and disruption and angst amongst traditional antivirus uh, vendors. You know who for years have, have had to work you know a lot harder to try and promote uh, their offerings, particularly in the consumer uh, segment where where there is uh, a range of free offerings, including you know what Microsoft uh, bundle in. Uh, but yeah Microsoft are, you know, are really showing their colors that they they aren't that old company that's all about doing everything on Windows uh, we have their uh, advanced threat protection uh, software now available on Windows and on and on Mac and now Linux iOS and, and Android uh, opening up really gives them incredible uh, coverage and yeah, it speaks to some of that change that's going on within the business. They you know if we, we look back um, uh, I think sort of, you know, 2004, 2005 type time frame where they came under a lot of pressure for the amount of security uh, issues with Microsoft software. Bill Gates famously sort of stopped the clock as it were, uh, you know, st- stopped the his entire workforce of of developers and got them to really go and refocus on security, and you know that's had a tremendous uh, you know impact. I I think in terms of how they develop their software, um, along the way they uh, they 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 have you know killed off um, you know some products from a security standpoint, but they're they're certainly taking the uh, uh, security offerings that come as part of their. Microsoft 365 bundle them and often and typically available separately as well but they're taking those products very seriously as they work to increase I guess that you know the average revenue they earn uh, you know per person within an organization and by covering all those bases I can see them very much becoming um, you know the preferred offering for, for many many businesses particularly when you look at the uh, the smaller, to medium businesses uh, that we have that want that, that you know, absolute convenience. If you've got one vendor uh, just provides it all, then that makes it easier. And you know, large organisations, uh, you know, they will sometimes have more, uh, more complex situations. Uh, but still, Microsoft being able to bring together all these uh, management and, and reporting pieces uh, probably makes their, uh, their security offerings a, a fairly, uh, fairly attractive option. And I saw Microsoft uh, also pointing uh, pointing out to a Gartner Magic Quadrant graphic, as you would uh, you know, probably call them. And these are these are interesting for those who aren't familiar with the you know Gartner Magic Quadrant. Uh, you know, Gartner being analysts who, who really look at who's uh, who's leading the way, what the future uh, maybe holds in terms of uh, technology and, and other investments. And uh, Microsoft sits there right at the, the top of the, the stack or at the uh, uh, far uh, top right uh, within the, the Gartner Magic Quadrant uh, for endpoint security. And you know, this is quite fascinating because we wouldn't have expected, micro- certainly a few years ago, we wouldn't have expected Microsoft to be uh, in this position. There's just one company, CrowdStrike, who uh, show, this is the August 2019 uh, Gartner Magic Quadrant for uh, endpoint protection platforms. Uh, CrowdStrike was ahead of them on completeness of vision, uh, but Microsoft was listed at uh, at the top on ability to execute, and then sitting uh, back from their semantic trend, micro, Sophos, and you know ra- range of other uh, vendors, and you've got the this, the so-called next gen AV platforms, Carbon Black, and so on on this chart as well. But uh, Microsoft look to be in a very very strong position. I guess this would in part be because so many organisations. Uh, using Microsoft for their email and uh, the file storage with SharePoint and the other aspects of SharePoint and the the Microsoft uh, suite and by sort of dovetailing their offering into that uh, as well as them uh, you know having having an involvement in operating system with so many people using Windows they are in a maybe in a somewhat unique position but they could easily have ended up in, a, in another place on this chart, but they've been investing very heavily, haven't they?
1: I think they realise that you know again the future. What it looks like, you, if they can't provide a stable and secure product, they don't have a product. To be fair, because people need to be able to trust the platform they're sitting on um, in the you know this new online world. Um, and Microsoft has obviously invested very heavily and done a good job of it. You know, it doesn't need to be sexy in this case. It just needs to work and be stable, and they've done that, and they've done it very well. So, you know, that's that's why they're up there, I suppose. Yeah. That investment and, and the effort to, to turn that around. Um, I, I think it suits Microsoft to the T, this kind of, this type of product, this type of offering. Um, it just has to work. And now even going into our homes, you know, people are wanting that security in their homes even. So suddenly there is that market available to them again through their online portals, um, you know, where people can, can have access to this kind of protection on a, you know, non-business front. Yeah, um, yep. well you they've know?
0: certainly got their you know, fam- family uh, security offerings as, as well. Um, so yeah, it will be very interesting to see how this plays out. And the I guess the bit that stands out for me when I look at that Gartner Magic Quadrant, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well, is that there's some companies missing, or that Microsoft are a little bit unique. If you look at the other companies that are in there, you know, FireEye, um, Bit Defender, ESET, um, Malwarebytes, interestingly sitting right right down the bottom now, um, Fortinet, Kaspersky. You know, etc. The other ones we've, we've mentioned before. There's no sign of any other mega tech companies in that list. There's no uh, Google. There's no Amazon mentioned no, uh, in there, right? So Microsoft have have invested and got to the top of the stack in this area where those other companies right now aren't aren't playing. So. This could be an interesting landscape when we look out, you know, 12, 24, 36 months. And we know that these big players, the Amazons and the Googles and the Apples, they can go and acquire whatever they want when they want. Their, their pockets are just so deep. Which takes us to the next story uh, Zooks, which we spoke about Zooks uh, Z00X on the show some months ago because I came across. A video of their um, testing of their autonomous driving technology in San Francisco, and look, it it, you know it blew me away. It was the the closest that we've seen to Waymo, which of course is the offering from you know Alphabet slash Google, their autonomous driving technology. They're they're really the company that that started this wave. you know a decade or, or so ago, uh, but that Zerks video showed off a vehicle that appeared to just effortlessly, goodness me, quite easily drive through <laughs> the traffic in, uh, in San Francisco. Busy streets, there were cars where they, you know, shouldn't have been sticking out into lanes, all sorts of things with you know, traffic lights, and, and just the general busyness of city streets. <coughs> And Zooks handled that, but when we look at, for instance, the technology from Mobileye, which is an Israeli company now um, uh, owned by Intel, I think they're still with Intel. You never know; these things always but sort of mo- move But Zooks recently been bit.
1: brought out too, isn't it, Paul?
0: Well, that yeah, then that's the so, story that uh, Amazon has gone and acquired go. uh, Zooks, and <laughs> and so look, the landscape can change very quickly, can't it? Um, and so very interesting to see Amazon making this move for Zoox, this move into autonomous vehicles, I think $1.2 billion US dollars for this acquisition. Now for those that are curious, well you know, how is Zooks so far ahead of for instance Tesla who themselves have over a million vehicles on, on the roads now? The um, the key difference between what uh, Zooks and Waymo are doing versus what Mobileye and Tesla are doing is that Tesla and Mobileye do it with just effectively uh, cameras, you know, simple cameras. There's a, there is a radar in there and some other sensors, but you know the the real key components, uh, yeah, the radar, which is is low low cost, um, but what Zooks and Waymo do is they're using the LiDAR which is very expensive technology and so when you see that if you find that uh, video of the the Zooks driving around in San Francisco that vehicle has all sorts of uh, sensors and and so on on it Um, so a lot more cameras and of course you know multiple uh, LiDAR so yeah this I mean this space will be uh, you know another area that will be in quite a different space when we look at it in five or ten years' time and how it, how it shakes out, I'm not sure. Um, that bet that uh, some are making on the ability of basically a, a, a bunch of reasonably low cost cameras versus the expensive uh, LiDAR technology. I'm sure those
1: low cost cameras are still pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, you drive a car with these cameras in it, Paul, so, you know, there's obviously some, some pretty smart stuff going on there. But obviously, there's this is next level in terms of, um, you know, really, it, it literally, from what we're seeing and hearing, drive itself through a situation. It, whereas.
0: Yeah, it does, but there are limitations on it. And w- my impression of how Waymo and Zooks work is they work on areas that have been pre mapped out. So they already have an incredible level of localized, you know, data yes, from being scanned from, and yeah. mapped and 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 so on. Whereas the other offerings are more agnostic to their location. So when you know when we saw those first uh, Teslas with autopilot that were able to drive on a motorway and they were imported into New Zealand pre Tesla even launching here, yeah, you could put one of those on the Harbour Bridge and when it you know came to the bend at the end of the Harbour Bridge as it was hitting the city. The car would be able to, you know, just follow the, curve of the uh, curvature of the road, be able to, you know, keep its distance from the next vehicle, and and, and so on. So there there is two quite different approaches mm. here, and I don't I don't know whether they will converge, uh, whether one will win out over the other, exactly how that's going to uh, going to play out. But it does does seem as though there will be a level of convergence. And my my pick is, and possibly we're seeing this already. I'm not 100 percent sure, but the likes of Tesla will draw on more information from their from their maps, but not to the extreme level that uh, probably uh, Zooks and, and Waymo are using today. Amazing. Now, Olympus is a company that a name that's been around for for you know a very long time. Uh, and their camera division has been, yeah, I guess that that's often what we think of when we think of Olympus is Olympus uh, cameras. Well, they've just announced that uh, they've sold the Olympus cameras, so they will no longer. Well, at some point in time, we don't know all the details of the this this deal. And look, what tends to happen when when these brands are sold off? Often, they will keep the original name for you know a number of years. When uh, Microsoft bought the uh, the the Nokia smartphone brand, they were they you know they had that Nokia branding for a while. It became Lumia. I think the Nokia bit disappeared. There's now a whole another Nokia uh, smartphone brand that's uh, that's that's reappeared. So I'm not quite sure what this is going to mean in in terms of uh, branding. That they, they've been bought by Japan Industrial Partners, which is the same company who purchased Sony's PC and laptop division, the, the VIO division. And we would see those, I don't know that we saw the PCs here in New Zealand, but we certainly saw the VIO laptops. And, you know, they, they were a nice looking sort of, you know, Sony, Sony-esque uh, product. And you could uh, certainly get them through the Sony stores. There wasn't a huge channel for, for selling them. But since that uh, Sony Vio division has been gobbled up by Japan industrial partners. I think that they've really moved to focus just on that Japan Japanese market. Mm. So it could well be that the uh, Olympus uh, cameras end up being a product that isn't so broadly uh, available. So yeah, this is an, an interesting you know another consolidation and we keep seeing these things we look at the you know car manufacturers there's a lot of brands out there some of which uh, have been around for a long time but we often don't quite realize who they're owned by and so on because there aren't actually that many you know automakers in terms of the the companies and you know one of the recent uh, electric vehicle announcements was around uh, you know MG's new EV, which is coming to New Zealand, but you look behind the scenes. This is not MG from you know from I think the, they're a UK uh, British company originally, but you know this is a Chinese company. But they own that badge, so they can put the MG badge uh, on uh, on their vehicle, and you know that's that's certainly something that. Uh, makes it a whole lot easier for them to sell in markets like New Zealand and and the UK, where MG is a brand that that has a, you know still has a fair uh, bit of recognition. Where if it was a a name you'd never heard of, you know, I think people are going to be a, a, a lot more wary. And we've seen that with uh, uh, companies like Great Wall here in New Zealand selling you know very low cost Utes and and you know four wheel drives for farmers and the and and the like. Yeah, very low cost, and it's because what is this brand? Who are they? And um, you know, the, the the main thing that's known about them is that they're a, a Chinese company that's sort of selling at a at a lower lower price, and maybe the quality isn't uh, you know isn't quite consistent with the other brands, and, and hence the lower price.
1: Well I think the you know the demise of of what we would have grown up with in terms of the camera it really just comes down to it's all Steve Jobs fault Paul with <laughs> with the iPhone really it just changed everything in terms of you know how we take a photograph how we you know how we go about those type of occasions why we wear watches I mean there's a lot that's happened in that space <laughs> Yes yes <laughs> so it's interesting they've gone for so long and then finally they've made a decision on that part of their business so Um, I I was interested when I was coming to work the other day I saw a beautiful car and it had a for sale sign on it and I just thought I'm sorry my friend you're not going to get that money for that car anymore because the future looks different now and what we would have paid for a beautiful car 10 years ago we're not prepared to pay anymore because we can get an actual you know, a forward thinking vehicle uh, that takes into consideration all these new things that are important to us today in terms of environment and other things you know, petrol versus electricity, and suddenly that option is not not as viable as it was. And uh, so, yeah, very much a futurist episode today, I think, Paul.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, looking looking at uh, something that we've talked about from a future perspective is this being able to get unlimited data wherever we sit on the on the planet. Now, we know with our ultra fast broadband plans and and you know most of our fixed internet connectivity in New Zealand in in terms of where we've we've got a wired connection, that is more and more being sold on an unlimited basis because there is that bandwidth to to go around our networks have been very well engineered, you know in comparison with with maybe some other parts of the world where the, where they're a little more variable. Uh, but when it comes to wireless, that has really been a challenge because there is only so much uh, bandwidth available. And when you have multiple people sucking down large amounts of data, That impacts everybody because yeah, you're 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 sharing a kind of you're sharing the airwaves, you're sharing this uh, uh, you know technical limit, and so it's interesting to see that uh, Vodafone and Farmside have made an announcement that they're going to begin offering a package to rural uh, wireless broadband customers that will between midnight and twelve noon offer unlimited data, this will be a $29 a month uh, bundle add on uh, according to uh, FarmSide but it's certainly a step in an encouraging direction, now it's not going to be there for those that want to watch Netflix in the in the evening, um, depending on how you watch Netflix and those sorts of things though. You it doesn't doesn't help you at the spur of the moment, but if you pick your right time, you can pre you know pre download uh, movies and TV programs certainly to a mobile device. So I just thought yeah this this was encouraging to see. Of course we're we're not you know fully there in terms of being in a five G world yet, which uh, you know ups the 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 level of throughput and maybe uh, that will change things more. Certainly there's that uh, expectation. But the other piece of this is looking at um, what FarmSide are doing. They have jumped in on the uh, satellite broadband offering from, now I'm trying to remember the company here, you might remember them, Greg, Pacific. Um, uh, I think they're using Pacific's technology uh, because FarmSide now have what we talked about on the show going back to, Ah, oh, must be in the direction of uh, two 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 years now. Uh, they have an unlimited broadband uh, plan that is you know delivered uh, using satellite. So you know that reaches every corner of New Zealand pretty much, you know, and into it, the Pacific, right? That's. and and yep, and there, there's coverage there um in other areas, of course, with satellite. Now this stuff will keep improving, of course. And you know SpaceX have their you know offering coming. You can actually go to, uh, you can you know go online and actually you know register an interest and and maybe they'll invite you to be part of their trial if they're offering uh, service down here. Uh, but the farm side are offering 199 dollars a month. Now performance wise, this is the only bit where I'm not 100 percent sure if this is specific or not, and I do need to ask them. Um, is the performance they're talking about is 16 megabits down? Two megabits up, so I'm. Whereas I know Pacific, um, certainly we're expecting to deliver a lot higher speeds than that. So yeah, but it'll be interesting. We'll we'll get a little bit more info on that. But unlimited broadband in uh, rural locations fairly handy. And look, some people may choose to have multiple connections. Of course, have uh, that that um, satellite connection to be their their unlimited as well as maybe uh, having a more traditional over mobile network in terms of the um, rural broadband initiative um, wireless type offering.
1: And I think the, the farmer or the lifestyle block owner is demanding more. They're not prepared to get left behind. I, I remember growing up, there was always the great conversation of, of those that lived outside of the city, basically with the poor cousins to every conversation because there were no votes in it, you know? Yeah, so yeah. so the expectation now is just much higher from everyone in the country, not just. City dwellers, but I always say to people, "I'm on the farm, but I can't get any connectivity." I say, "Move back into the city. You can have all the rubbish that comes with it, but you have great connectivity." No, I'm not coming back to the city. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit of a trade-off still, but obviously, uh, you know, there's a real push to, to you know, equalise because you know the demand is there across the board, and people just expect it. There's an expectation which is good yeah I think it's one
0: of those things that many maybe don't think about when they think about buying in rural locations is what will be that impact uh, and yeah I think you know it's an important factor in you know buying property is understanding what the connectivity is going to be like if you don't need much then you know that's absolutely fine and 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 look there are ways to make there are ways to make you know Thing, things work um, but as we get faster and, and, and better broadband it's very nice to have access to it uh, too so uh, yeah but also there is there is something to be said from getting away from it all <laughs> alright well that just about brings us to the end the last thing I alluded to this a week or two back was my testing of the uh, Apple Watch uh, Series 5 the LTE model which uh, finally launched in New Zealand uh, late last year And I had this a little bit of a dilemma because uh, Spark. Have really led the way in terms of being able to offer uh, the one number uh, option within the New Zealand market. So what that means is you can have a SIM card in your smartphone, or an, or even an eSIM in your smartphone. So I uh, I have numbers with multiple uh, multiple networks. My primary number has been with Vodafone for a very long time, and I thought, well, I'm just going to change that over to uh, over to Spark, and then I remembered why I why I'd never changed it in the past. And it's because I've got this old service that Vodafone uh, used to offer. Uh, there were a couple of different options for it. Um, $12, $12 a month you would pay as a base fee. And this is a service which whenever I miss a call or if my phone's off, those sort of scenarios, then the calls get diverted to uh, an operator. That person will answer the call as though they're you know, my secretary, whatever you want to call it. And you know they'll just say, "Hey, it's Paul Spain's answer service. You know, can I can I take a message?" And then I get it as a text. So you know, for the last 10, 15, I don't know, maybe twenty years, that I've had this. I haven't had to listen to voicemail messages, and I just get that little you know a, a short text message with what, you know who it was, maybe what they wanted. Very very useful, and you know, saved me so so much time. And then I realised if I if I ditch my number on Vodafone, I might uh, I might lose that, or if I move that port that number over over to Spark. So I've been looking at well, what are the alternative options? Because you know the watch has that uh, mobile connectivity in it, and what I found was if you know if I test certainly within the building, and I and I um, you know varying things with turning on and off Wi-Fi on my phone and on the watch and so on. So I'm I'm just on. Mobile network, and you know, I was finding oh, well, if somebody rings my 021 number, which is is on the um, Vodafone network, but I've also got my Spark SIM in the iPhone, and then there's the Spark eSIM in the watch, those Vodafone calls are actually getting forwarded to my watch. So I thought, ah, this is perfect. Uh, so it's uh, it's going to save you know allow me to have that convenience of actually leaving my phone behind, but when I tested it further and I went um, and it's interesting because on the iPhone it actually refers to um, you know tra- passing on calls when you're when you're nearby. Well, when when I tested it further afield, so I, you know disappeared off you know, maybe a few Ks away, and I just had uh, the Apple Watch with its SIM card. The only calls. That I would be getting were the ones that were to my Spark number. Oh, so um, I'm not sure if I've missed something there. If there's a listener that's worked this out and and, uh, and got it working, we'd, I'd be interested to hear. But um, at this stage, what I thought was going to be a um, you know a really neat solution to um, Decoupling uh, from a smartphone and uh, and leaving it behind, and just having my uh, watch for uh, emergency uh, communications is not quite as uh, uh, as slick and perfect as what I'd been hoping. But uh, never mind, that's what happens with technology sometimes. And uh, last that I heard from. Uh, Vodafone, I think Jason Paris, when when uh, it was mentioned to him, it was at late late last year at the Geek Zone event at, at Vodafone, uh, he indicated they they were looking at sort of mid uh, mid 2020 to be able to uh, you know maybe catch up with with Spark on that particular uh, offering. So we will see. So you know, yep, come on Vodafone, let's uh, let's see what you could do. But thanks very much to. Uh, to Spark for offering that uh, feature and finally bringing it to New Zealand because we felt a little bit like poor cousins to the rest of the world, uh, you know, not having the uh, the LTE or mobile connected uh, Apple Watch in the market, and uh, we have that, but uh, of course it's maybe not for everyone. So there we are. Well, thanks everybody for listening in to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We will of course be back again next week with a whole lot. Uh, more news and discussion. Thank you, Greg, for joining the, the show this week.
1: Always a pleasure, Paul, always a pleasure.
0: And uh, look, for uh, for our listeners, we'd encourage you to track us down across our social media channels. Uh, we do have that new page up on uh, LinkedIn, so if you followed us uh, previously there, please follow the new NZ Tech Podcast page. Uh, we are, of course, on YouTube, so we're, we're you know, putting more video onto uh, onto a YouTube platform, Uh, Facebook and and Twitter of course Uh, So thanks everyone, catch you again next week You've been listening to New Zealand Tech Podcast The voice of the tech community Proudly presented by Umbrella Connect